Hey everybody and hello humans. It's Rob with Not A Robot Podcast here with bonus episode 2 of 2 covering the anthology books that DC and Marvel are putting out this month. This time it's Marvel turn and what a turn it was. Some of you may know that I am a co-host of the DC Comics Podcast as well as the upcoming MCU Podcast. We've got a great group of humans, many of whom identify as a member of the LGBTQIA community, and we are from all over the Not A Robot Podcast Network. Today we've got Holly, Jessica, and Caitlin from different podcasts. Since some people here are new to the Comics Podcast, we're going to go around, introduce ourselves, and share just a bit so you know who to complain to when you're writing in. Speaking of which, you can do just that. Send in an email to notarobotcomics at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter, too, at NotArobotComics, and if you want your mail read on the show, just let us know. Alright, I'll get us started. So my name is Rob. I am myself and bisexual, which means I finger gun obnoxiously, I love Loki, and coin flips are everything. And we've got Holly from Brew-Infused Media House and the host of the not... I knew I was going to screw up that word. Holly is from the Brew-Infused Media House and the host of the new Pop Culture Roundtable show out now. She's also on Warren Film and the soon-to-be-released Cartoon Cartel. Holly? Thanks, Rob. Uh, Yeah, my name's Holly. Uh, I'm a writer, I'm a mom, and I also identify as bisexual. Perfect. Jessica is also on the Pop Culture Podcast. Jessica? Hi, I'm Jessica. My pronouns are she, her. I also identify as bisexual. For me, that means I also give lots of finger guns. I'm terrible at making decisions. My favorite color is blue. Uh, yeah, you'll name me find me on the Pop Culture Roundtable podcast with the lovely Holly. But I'm sure as time goes on, I'll end up being pulled into more podcasts, which I'm looking forward to. And we have Kaylin, who is on the Star Wars Cantina, as well as the upcoming MCU show and the Pop Culture Roundtable. Kaylin? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Caitlin. My pronouns are she, they. I can't sit in chairs the way the chair intends me to. Um, so I think that outs me. <laughs> As another um, bi pride person. Um, and yeah, I apparently can't stop joining podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned chairs. Uh, a few years ago, I saw uh, there's somebody made a chair. I don't know what it was for, but it's kind of built where the arms are at different levels and the back is kind of like slanted sideways. So you're meant to sit on it at an angle and it's just perfect for bisexuals. <laughs> but then there was the one oh, I saw it. Ahead. No, it was, it's modular, right? There's one where like you can flip different bits to make it. But to me, I'm like, yeah. okay, but then that just means that the chair is technically correct. That's not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> You can always sit on it backwards. Okay, now that... Yeah. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's what we call the raker maneuver. (laughs) Okay, now that you've got a chance to get to know us, we've... Oh, my goodness. Okay, now that you've got a chance to get to know us, we're going to let you know about the comic. That's what you're here for anyway, right? Okay, good. So, our creative teams, and this is a long one, they are Luciano Vecchio with Mike O'Sullivan on a well-researched introduction featuring Prodigy, Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung with Marcelo Maiolo on a beautiful single page about Billy and Teddy, Mariko Tamaki, Mariko Tamaki and Chris Anka with Tamara Bonvillane bring us Under the Stars with Nico and Carolina. Lila Sturgis and Derek Charm with Brittany Peer bring us something new every day featuring Dr. Charlene McGowan and our newest Daredevil, Elektra. 
Leah Williams and Jen. Leah Williams and Jen Bazaldua with Eric Arcienega give us a budding of a beautiful black cat relationship. Crystal Fraser and Jethro Morales with Rochelle Rosenberg give us a Titania tale with a She-Hulk cosplayer. Kieran Gillen and Jen Hickman with Brittany Peer show us a side of Prodigy that actually doesn't have all the answers. Terry Blaz with Paulina Genusho and Kendall Good show us a moving mutant story. Anthony Oliveira and Javier Guerron with David Curiel show us how Bobby Drake first dealt with coming out. J.J. Kirby gives us a hot look at a Canadian icon. Teeny Howard and Samantha Dodge with Brittany Peer show us Mystique's softer side. Vita Ayala and Joanna Estep with Brittany L. Williams and Brittany Peer have the new mutants bringing about a new romance. And finally, Steve Orlando and Claudia Aguirre with Luciano Vecchio show us the man of Dakin's dreams. At the end of the issue, we also get a beautiful spread image from Jacopo Camagni and a reprint of, uh, and a reprint of Alpha Flight number 106, the issue that features Northstar coming out. So we can jump right in. What did you guys think of the introduction? I loved it, um, especially as someone who's not a super avid comic books reader. I drop in and out. Um, having that history there from Prodigy was a really helpful kind of primer to what all we'd be getting into over the course of the book, and you know, just a nice look back at queer history in comic books. At least yeah, was, in Marvel books. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely a well-needed refresh that I kind of appreciated that we got in this. And unfortunately, we didn't get in the DC version. But this was, was well-researched, very detailed. A lot of stuff is recent, but a lot of stuff that you just never would have heard about because it was like 60 years ago. Yeah, that was my... One big critique about the DC one was that as not a comic reader, there was a lot of stuff in it where I just didn't know how to either learn the history from it or how to move forward out of the anthology, What, where to go next, what to look for. Um, yeah, like all these different characters that lots of people wouldn't have heard of and opening with, like they say numerous times throughout the rest of the book, because then later there's an interview um, with the, I think he was the assistant editor of the North Star comic where he came out as gay in the 90s. Like, there's so much throughout this anthology that is kind of honoring how far they've been able to come in such a short time span. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely respect the hell out of all of this and just well needed. Ollie, do you have anything to add? Um, no, I, I kind of agree with everything that was already said. Um, we didn't get this in the, the DC book at all. The, the beginning of this was, uh, much more welcoming and, and for me who isn't up on all the characters like that, um, this, this was great to, to look, to look through. And I particularly, um, I loved the last few lines on here. The, uh, we honor our history to appreciate the present. We treasure the past to dream of the future. And one thing's for sure, it keeps getting better. And I think I thought that the whole opening was so well written and just well done. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a very beautiful line. Nice way to end it. And speaking of beautiful, we then go into our... I, I thought it was only our first, but it might be our only one-page story, The Vows, with Wiccan and Hulkling, or Billy and Teddy. And for long-time readers... I wouldn't say long time, but it's been about 12, 13 years or so these characters have been around. Reading them in the Young Avengers and seeing them as a couple then and watching them grow and then get married is just beautiful. And this was just so cute. It was romantic. I think they're my favorite couple in comics right now. How did you guys feel about this one? It, this was really sweet. Um, and it. I will say I was reading it and I made me a little disappointed in what a terrible job I did by comparison on my own wedding vows. (laughs) 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 They were fine. (laughs) But yeah, this was, it was really great, especially things like saying, you know, writing wedding vows when it feels like the world's about to end. Um, You know, I think a lot of us have felt like the world's about to end at different times over the last 10 or 15 years and yeah yes I, I think sorry oh you're good I I thought of my own wedding vows and how not up to st- up to snuff they were with these I hope someone is able to maybe take a few lines out of these I think it'd be really cute yeah I gotta write some <laughs> down for my own wedding next year that's <laughs> is really good I also recently got married and it was funny the way that we structured our vows is very, very similar to these. Like, especially in Canada with the common law laws, the way that they are, weddings more and more so feel kind of superfluous that they're not really necessary because as soon as you live together for, I think it's two years, you're by all rights, according to the government, you are legally together. Um, and so it, it there was an element of do we need to throw a party? Do we need to spend this money? All these kinds of things. But now on the other side of it, we're really glad we did it because it is like they talk about in here, like a commitment of every day. It's not just one day. It's a really big kind of milestone moment for your relationship that you come back to throughout the rest of your lives. Basically Um, like we even included in our vows that like, we will continue to add to these as time goes on or something. Like, I don't remember the specific wording. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but that's what I believe Teddy says at the end of it, um, that, like, he's going to keep adding to these and make sure that it's part of their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Which is also, like, a great relationship I had, advice. <laughs> I had no idea that the, the common law relationship situation in Canada was that straightforward i know in the states it's it varies wildly by state and it in some states it practically doesn't exist like in order for you to meet the requirements of being quote-unquote common law married in some places you'd be doing things that'd be considered fraud um like because you have to hold yourselves out to the public as married um so that's that's an interesting yeah i think when I did research for it at the time when we were, like, filing taxes and stuff, like, years and years ago, that 
there were so many cases where people lived together for so long, but then when they broke up, one person took everything and the other person had no legal ramifications. So basically Mm -hmm. it ended up becoming a law to protect those people in long-term relationships that end suddenly so that both people get things fairly, even if there was no marriage license signed. Is basically the thing is just that like marriage licenses are one extra piece of paper, but if you live together and filed your taxes together and all these other things, like everything you own statistically, you bought together after being together for five years. Your couch, like everything, would be new at some point in those years. Yeah, the U- the U.S. definitely still sees marriage as a separate class like I don't think you can file taxes jointly if you're not married even if you are you can still file separately um yeah marriage like marriage as a legal status is is a pretty big deal here um which is why and I had mentioned this Rob before we started recording I think it's an interesting coincidence that we are recording today it's June 26th um which in the U.S. on June 26 2013 the Supreme Court overturned the Defense of Marriage Act as unconstitutional. Um, and two years later, on June 26th in 2015, the court ruled that the right to marry should be guaranteed to same-sex couples under the 14th Amendment. So that was the federal legalization of queer marriage in the U.S. Very cool. Oh, that's awesome. And it was only six years ago. <laughs> Marvel planned theirs, like, so. very well. <laughs> DC was yeah. a little ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's that's a big deal and a huge step in the right direction. Okay, and for our next story, we have from the Runaways. We have Nico and Carolina on a little date night under the stars, going to go see a concert, but unfortunately, they can't get in. Now, I have been a huge Runaways fan since they started, and just to see this couple together, it, it's perfect. It's just a, an, an amazing pairing. And they're so cute together, and this is a nice little story. You add in the fact that Mariko Tamaki is writing this, and I'm sold. I wouldn't mind. I love what Rainbow Roll. I love what Rainbow Rowell is doing right now with the book, but if she ever decided to move on from it, I would not mind if Mariko Tamaki decided to take over. I think this was such a nice little three-page story, but it's perfect. How did you guys feel? I think it's super cute. And I mean, who hasn't been in that situation where you're waiting in line for a long time and, you know, maybe you get quiet or maybe you get bored and you pick up what someone else is saying and you it launches a conversation of your own, um, yeah. you know, and that seems like what they're doing here, 10 minutes and then 30 minutes in, they're talking about, you know, based on snippets that they overhear from other people, how would you tell other people we met and all the, you know, it's so cute. And it's a, just such a regular interaction between two people you know, in love and out on the town. Mm-hmm. I also found it a bit of a slap in the face that they were like the only two left in line. Like, no, sorry, we're sold out. Go away. <laughs> Was there nobody behind them? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. They're they the don't last like two. Try it, but I. I was thinking, like, throughout the comic, I was like, oh, there's probably people behind them. Like, I didn't even think about it because the shot of, like, the person with the sold out sign, it's just the two of them, and then there's like immediately the frame cuts off. But yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. feels like, oh, no, we, we don't like you guys. Go away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but 
But aside from Oh, that, do we think he was discriminating? Oh, that's more than I care to uh, read into it. I don't <laughs> think so. Especially in a comic that is celebrating. I don't think that, that yeah. they would have gone there. But who knows? Uh, my thing with it, same with the DC Pride one, I gave an award for like best outfit. And best outfit for me in this whole anthology is Nico. I just can't get over like the boots namely like they're knee high like blue with like stars and moons and i'm like here for it (laughs) i just want those boots yeah those are really cute boots yeah same thing with what caitlin said it was so cute um i distinctly remember my husband and i we went to disneyland as like our first like alone trip without like either sets of families and after so many lines you end up like playing like coming up with games to play to like pass the time (laughs) because Mm -hmm. otherwise you're left like accidentally eavesdropping you're like i don't want to be those people um but it it happens (laughs) all the time and then i also liked that one of the conversations they overhear is someone like introducing it seems someone who's non-binary they use they pronoun instead of she or her so I thought that was really cool. Like, it's very subtle. It's very, like, minimalistic. But I think having more and more of those little moments helps build a world that's more inclusive. Definitely. I also loved, I don't read The Runaways regularly. I've seen an episode. <laughs> because my, my exposure to this is largely through TV and movies. But does Carolina always wear a lesbian pride bracelet? Or is that special for this issue? Oh, that? Or something? Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. We see it, there's a color. little inset where she says, okay, we'll go to plan B. Oh, shoot. I only recognize the, the metal bracelet because the metal bracelet turns off her powers. I, yeah, I didn't realize. That, I think, is new. Well, the it's cute. I like pride it. Bracelet. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> good eye. Nice. Yeah, going through this again, there's like all sorts of minor details you don't notice. That's really good. Well, next up, we get a small story from Shirley McGowan straight out of the Immortal Hulk. Her and Elektra are going up against the Fast Five on a little heist mission. I thought this was kind of fun for a brand new character. She's great. She's one of my favorite new characters coming out of the Immortal Hulk. And it's it's great to see her interacting with the wider Marvel Universe. I don't know much about this new Daredevil. I know Elektra, but I didn't know she was Daredevil now. That's interesting. How did you guys feel about this one? I liked how they were just casually discussing... Um like how con- you know condescending tones while this battle was was going on and um daredevil goes welcome to womanhood and then it's the response is you know telling a trans woman welcome to womanhood is actually kind of condescending and it implies that we aren't real women mm-hmm. until and unless we transition um so i just like that there was this dialogue the entire time and then like they go out to eat and they discuss all of it more so uh, for for readers that I feel like this was all set to like maybe a younger audience, um, and it's just uh, it's it's good to have that open dialogue. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like they were having what could be a very heavy discussion about, you know, things that are insulting to trans women, even if you don't necessarily mean to be, um, you know, and Electra really kind of learning to check herself um, in a respectful way, happening against the backdrop of these rhyming inline skating (laughs) criminals. Um, You know, it really lightened it up a lot. And this was, I think, to me, this was the first obvious one, but the the book as a whole has more trans representation than I was expecting, and I'm really happy about that. Um, I don't know, I don't know what I was expecting, but there, you know, it just felt like it was throughout. It wasn't this, oh yeah, and trans people are here too, which happens, I think, kind of a lot in Pride events across all media, Mm -hmm. Um, and seems to be getting better in the last couple of years and hopefully we'll continue to to get better agreed i also liked and we see it throughout the rest of the anthology as well um but the like uh square text blocks that have like asterisks that are like see this other comic and it's like yes that's what i wanted from the dc one (laughs) why weren't they there like so many times throughout this anthology they're like if you like this character go read this one and it's immediately like cool i can go to google and be like immortal hulk number three (laughs) and it gives me more uh with uh kingpin or mcgowan like or whoever it is that you're interested in um my husband's on the Marvel Comics podcast, and he showed me a panel of uh, Charlene talking with, I forget who the other character was, and same thing in that comic where they said something and her response was, you really shouldn't say that to a trans woman, and like, that was it. Like, it wasn't... Reaction. Yeah, like, it. it it's so nice. Mm-hmm. And I did have the thought in the DC one that I felt like there was no teaching moments, which there doesn't need to be. And the more representation there is, the less we need to talk about that trauma of having to teach other people how to act or how to respond or what do's and don'ts they should and shouldn't do. And it was nice to have little moments throughout this comic where it was like, hey, everybody can grow. Remember, it's not that you need to transition before you're a woman. If you identify as trans, you are trans. Like, at no point does anyone have any right to ask you, like, oh, are you getting top surgery? Like, at no point is your body, like, a discussion for other people to have. So I thought yeah. that was super cool. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how, how normalized uh, that was and has been for so long mm. and the pushback that's that's come out of it, thank goodness. And, you know, people are finally having these conversations a different way um, and, and it then teaches, you know, I mean, it, all these things, it's, it's a teachable moment for, for the readers, of course, you know, go ahead and have these conversations. Don't be afraid of them. And, and then go and have dinner later, you know, and, and laugh about yeah. life's nuances. Mm-hmm. Make fun of Randy because he's such a loser. Right. <laughs> Not <laughs> red line. <laughs> It's a specific character. Random listeners also named Randy. It's just a coincidence. We love you very much. 
Yeah. You're great. Yeah. Well, that was the exactly. other thing. That line about, like, we don't all know each other, it so often reminds me of the joke about whenever Canadians go to the States, <laughs> that, like, most Americans, like, we all know each other, and it's like, for example, Rob and I are both Canadians. Yeah. We do not live anywhere near each other. Like... <laughs> That you do well, know each other because you're currently recording a yeah, podcast. Yeah. I just, just remember as a kid, like we went to this water park, but it was right after Canada Day, and so I had like a uh, like one of those like lick tattoos that you like press on tattoos um, of the Canadian flag. And so we're at this water park, and this kid behind me is like, "Oh, do you ride polar bears to school?" Like all these different things, and then one of them, he's like, "Do you know my dad's friend Steve?" I'm like. No. (laughs) (laughs) I know some Canadians have just like taken that and played it up, and oh yeah, no, I told me yeah, over in Nova Scotia, yeah, no, we're we're drinking buddies. (laughs) It's just a Tuesday. So that I really enjoyed that joke about like we don't all know each other, and then it turned out that she did happen to know who he was talking about. Okay, our next story comes from Black Cat on a little revenge heist mission in a way, but she comes across somebody else instead who is also after the same person that Black Cat happens to be after. I think there's a little bit of backstory here. I'm not refreshed on Black Cat at all in the past, like two decades, so I have no idea what's going on here, but this is an interesting little story. And very nice lead into a, a blossoming relationship, I think. At least the way it looks like it's going. I think they are coming back in a later book. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, my I think this was my least favorite story simply because of like the first like two pages of it are all in our monologue of like Black Cat having to s- describe and set up the scenario. For this encounter, mm-hmm. but once we actually meet the other character, I was just so much more interested in like, oh, okay, cool. Now keep going. Um, and like yeah. <laughs> we said about all these little moments, like she makes a little moment of like, I'm not complaining about the view, but <laughs> which is so nice to have some <laughs> casual like flirtation between two women, um, and having that normalized is also really cool. I think also it's it's a classic um, queer trope. This I can't tell if you're asking me on a date or if you're asking me to just do this thing <laughs> because that's right. That's um, one one commonly held I think in community stereotype is that lesbians are terrible at flirting and can't tell uh, when another WLW is trying to flirt with you or be a friend or. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> so it's nice that Jesse at least is brave enough to ask <laughs> and find out right away. Um, although I will say I also embarrassed myself reading this story because I was probably a full page and a half through, if not more, when I realized that I don't know Black Cat at all. And in my head, I was conflating her with Black Canary. Uh, oh. <laughs> Two different, yeah. Uh, completely different (laughs) Um, we also talked about this in the DC Pride podcast that there are so many superheroes now which is so cool 
Um, but sometimes they get a little confusing, like all the different flashes. I was like, I, I don't know which one this one is. Um, but yeah, so I saw her and I was like, oh yeah, the eyes are like, no, cat, not canary. Ugh, dang it. So it's very cool. Yeah, they, they, they tend to make a lot of pseudo copies mm-hmm. of each other. It, it does get a bit confusing. And that even actually came up in the DC podcast, what you're saying about Flash, where they're doing a whole multiverse story and somebody they just talk to the Flash, he'll explain it, like, which one? <laughs> Barry Allen, which, which one? I don't know, what, like, there's, like, millions. Yeah, and, like, yeah. I don't go be wrong, again, I'm not a huge comic person, but from what I can tell about, like, the passing of the mantle being a huge honor, I totally get. But I also really like when they're their own character or have their own persona or have like all these different things that they are doing and they are kind of separate from their mentor. Um, And it's not just, oh, we've made a new copy. He's now 50 years younger. There you go. Um, Or what have you. (laughs) Like, again, there's this whole history to it, which is super cool. But I like as we move forward having like all the mutants, especially with Marvel, that there's so much room for all these different superpowers and characters, which is really cool. Yeah. Is Jesse Drake new or relatively new? I think so. I meant to look up when that issue they're talking about came out. She does a lot of explaining who she is in this, which could be, to me, could be this is a new character. We're giving people more information. Or it could be these two characters have never met, so she's going to do a quick info dump to make sure that Black Cat is caught up on who she is as much as the readers yeah. would be. I think she is relatively new. Um, if I remember right, she's also a mutant. Oh. Um, 1994, actually. Yeah. I just know oh, that... Okay. With yeah. the new, like, X-Men arc of, like, Krakoa, like, an, a mutant island and stuff, that a lot of characters mm-hmm. kind of got rebirthed or restarted or had new starting points, basically. Um, I don't know if she's one of them. Um, but, yeah, there's been a lot of kind of, not upheaval, but, like, rewriting or reestablishing certain characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully X-Men's a little easier to follow now, because I know 10 or so years ago, there was maybe 15 different books you had to read just to get the whole story, and it was too much. (laughs) Well, Marvel didn't have the movie rights, so I wonder if they did that on purpose to confuse people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And that would be how, Caitlin, we got the Inhumans. (laughs) (laughs) We had this conversation on the MCU uh, recap episode earlier today about uh, changing of the guard at Marvel Studios and how that impacted, um, you know, which way the next phase went. But Shang-Chi, so I'm looking forward to that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's going to be good. Is Sim- so I know Simu Liu, who's playing Shang-Chi from Kim's Convenience. Has is he has he done other stuff? Or is that like that his, was big his big breakout? Role? Yeah. He did okay. like um, in Toronto, they have like. Not Broadway, but it's like a bunch of shows like that. And that's how Kim's Convenience started. It was a play. Um, mm-hmm. I think he did like a bunch of plays. He also like went to university to become like a accountant or something and then failed at it. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was a banker. He used to live on Bay Street, he said. Or he worked yeah, on Bay Street. So like in he Toronto. didn't even. And then he was like, oh, I'll become a model. That'll be super easy. And then he realized how racist the industry was. I was like, crap. <laughs> so 
I think Kim's Convenience was most of their big breakout roles. Like, same thing with um, Andrew Fung, who plays his best friend. I forget the character's name. Yeah, Kimchi. Uh, he's from... I follow him on Twitter. Yeah, he's, he's from great. Calgary. Um, and same thing, I don't think he was able to get much work. Like, there is lots of mm. filming in... Namely Vancouver, I think. There is more in Toronto with certain studios, but less, like, opportunities. Yeah, super stoked that a Canadian is like headlining another movie. It's like, ha. <laughs> anyway, back to Black Cat or no? Sorry, yeah, no, quick, okay. quick diversion to talk about Shang Chi. <laughs> okay. So next on our story list, we have a. I thought it was actually going to be a She Hulk story, but. It was a bit of a patsy. And it's actually a She-Hulk cosplayer that gets attacked by Titania, one of She-Hulk's sworn enemies, thinking it was actually Jennifer Walters, but instead it's Jennifer Harris. I thought the art was very good in this one, and not every character featured needs to be a superhero, and I respect that. It can just be a, a normal person, and a cosplayer like one of us just going to a convention and just living their best life and then they get roped into superhero shenanigans and almost get killed. You know, that can happen. <laughs> Easily. Easily. Yeah. Hashtag relatable. Yeah, exactly. And then you get shot in the head by Deadpool. It's totally relatable. <laughs> well, hasn't everyone fantasized about that? About getting shot in the head by Deadpool? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no on that one. Sorry. Yeah, I really connected with Jen uh, with feeling like only recently would I feel comfortable cosplaying as a superhero. Um, like I distinctly remember when we went to see Wonder Woman in theaters. I cried numerous times throughout that movie and most of the time it wasn't because of necessarily what was happening on screen but like the idea of there's a woman in World War One. <laughs> like I was just so like excited <laughs> for no reason because I'm also like a history buff. Um, and then same thing with like all these new uh, female superheroes being in movies or TV shows and they aren't sticks like the only one I had before that was kind of Invisible Woman in Fantastic Four which just got was beautiful I will never be the same size as her <laughs> so it's really nice to have a variety of body shapes as superheroes so I definitely understand where she's coming from, which was super cool to see in a comic. And we actually have a casting, a live action casting of Titania coming up. Did any of you watch Heck The yeah, Good Titania Place? Titania is being yes. played by... Uh, oh, yeah. Tahani. Jamila Jamil, yeah. really? Jamila Jamil, yeah. Talk about body positivity. That's been like yeah. her, her whole public thing for mm-hmm. a while now. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see her take on that it's role. Be so good. And there better be like the same vibes that are in this comic of like, oh, you're so powerful. Hi. <laughs> like, it's definitely <laughs> like a little bit flirtatious, and I'm so here for it. <laughs> and what I find interesting about that casting is Jamila Jamil, at least when the rumors first went out that they were doing a She Hulk show she kind of put her name into the ring to play Jennifer Walters Mm -hmm. and a lot of fan casting just started up with that. But the same thing happened 
Sorry, one second. Let me, let me keep forgetting her name. The same thing happened with Stephanie Beatriz, who plays Detective Rosa Diaz on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She also put her name in the ring for Jennifer Walters. And then fan casting rumors started spreading about that. <laughs> but it eventually went to Tatiana Maslany, who just came out of nowhere, I think. Mm-hmm. And now we get Jamila Jamil is being in the show. I'm holding out hope for Stephanie Beatrice. Yeah, I was going to say, I Tatiana Maslany is extremely talented. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know she can do a great job with this. But Stephanie Beatrice and Rosa Diaz, icons. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I would love to see her yeah. in more stuff. But now she's having a mm-hmm. baby, so I, I kind of feel like it maybe was the timing. Oh, yeah. Take a couple yeah, months I off. I feel like it might have been the timing <laughs> yeah. of it. So it'll all work out. I'm sure she'll be back, back, back mm-hmm. again in a different role, which will be even better. Maybe it can like show off her Latina roots too. That'd be super cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to see how that show's going to go, but hopefully. There was one other thing that kind of jumped out at me with this not She-Hulk, She-Hulk story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all the commentary where she's talking about, I love New York, and you can do this, and you can do that, and you can do the other thing. The green on white here reminds me so much of road signs for some reason. <laughs> like oh. <laughs> Highway signs. Oh, yeah. That's a good yeah. <laughs> Or street signs. Um which isn't something that's unique to New York State or New York City. Like, that green and white is a pretty common choice throughout the country. But I don't know why. It makes me think of that so much. I also, at one point, I can't find it now. She said, like, it's also nice how you can spend $8 on chicken and rice and it lasts you for two days. And my only exposure <laughs> to She-Hulk before this comic was I read the She-Hulk Diaries, which is actually a novel. Um and all I remembered from it was that she's, like, hungry all the time. Like, her metabolism is so high. And so, at that point, I was like, huh? But then later when it reveals what's going on, I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I, I, I see what you mean. <laughs> Just a regular yeah. person's two days worth of yeah. chicken and rice. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was like, I know there's, like, price differences between the U.S. and Canada. But that one didn't seem to fit. <laughs> Well, then you mentioned that. There's actually, I forgot I was going to bring that up. At the end, she mentions $8 will get you a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking, what? Is that true? $8 for a cup of coffee is not any cheaper in New York? I mean, $8 will get you like a Frappuccino. It's not like a oh, flat man. back from a, a flat black coffee from a food cart or something. That's still under five That's- bucks. I think that's still pretty pricey because <laughs> you, you could probably spend like five, five, six dollars up here for that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, in parts of the U.S. we have Timmy's, but here, I mean, we have Dunks, Dunkin' Donuts, and you can get a small black coffee for like a dollar and change. Yeah. Plus, McDonald's usually has like different specials for coffee too. Yeah, they have one dollar coffees. I think on both sides yeah. of the border. Depending on, I don't know, what time of year it is, what their marketing team is up to. It was also funny when the list first hit our, like, group chat about which heroes were going to be featured. Everyone was like, where's Deadpool? So then when he was in this comic, (laughs) I giggled a little bit. I was just like, he's here. (laughs) 
Got him. Yeah, that is interesting that he's not otherwise here. But I guess... Might have just been like a little too over the top. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess tonally, it, he doesn't really fit in with everyone else. Yeah. He also, I'm pretty sure, doesn't really, out of any of these other characters, I feel like a lot of them are still kind of exploring. Um, whereas he's mm-hmm. so set or so sure of himself that it might not fit the theme of like representation and um, discovering who you are, especially like the next comic. Um that he might be, like mm-hmm. we said, the tone might be a bad fit. I mean, even the cosplayer just ruins the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our next story comes from Prodigy and Speed. And you saw Prodigy during the introduction. He's a bit of a genius. That is one of his, if I remember right, that's one of his mutant powers that he basically just absorbs knowledge like crazy. And he's on a little pizza date with Speed, Wiccan's twin brother, who is basically a carbon copy of Quicksilver, but a little bit cooler and maybe a little bit more arrogant. I was going to say twins named Wiccan and Speed. Sounds a little familiar. Yeah. (laughs) Except these ones didn't get erased. Ah. Ah. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. There's always uh, room for another retcon in the comic exactly. book world. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I appreciated the hell out of this story, even just from a bisexual standpoint, watching Prodigy just struggle with these ideas that he's seeing. The bi struggle's real, and it's, it's difficult when you're freshly out. And you can go through it for years. Some people will never stop going through it. It's it's complicated. It's confusing. And you will constantly question yourself. And there was a book I read a few years ago that talked about the bi-struggle. And it one of the, the sentences they, they used stuck out at me is that you are constantly coming out to people. You're constantly coming out to yourself to your friends, to people around you, you never stop coming out. And this is is kind of indicative of what's going on here as well. That he's he's still even in this story, he's still like learning about himself and it's we we mentioned um oh my god, what's the word? Wow, I'm just completely blanking on one word. Never mind. Can you describe it? We talked about um, like real life similarities in these stories, Mm -hmm. and this one is is just on the nose. It's perfect, I think. Totally. Agreed. Yeah, I think so. I think that you know you're right. That that feeling that coming out isn't something that just happens once for most people. I mean, maybe if you're, you know, Ellen DeGeneres, you can say it once and everybody finds out. But (laughs) um, I guess I'm showing everyone how old I am, that my go-to reference is Ellen DeGeneres, huh? It was (laughs) at the time, dude. 
it was it was a huge deal and every you know everybody knew um but for most people coming out isn't something that you can just do once it has to happen over and over and over and over again you know you it can happen with your family with your close friends if you get a new job you have to figure out is it safe for me to come out here is it worth explaining to people you know every time you make new friends when is it time for them to know or do you just hope they figure it out on their own and yeah, and biphobia is a thing that, you know, there's there's homophobia and there are straight people who just don't like any of us in the rainbow, which is a real shame. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also within the queer community people who, you know, say bisexuals don't exist or, you know, the assumption is that bi men are really just gay or bi women are really just straight um, or the other way around. And, and it's garbage and it's a terrible thing to, to have to live with. Um, so just a quick, you know, quick reminder, it's, it's valid. It is a way that to be, it's a way people are. And if you are a bisexual person listening who is doubting yourself, like you are the only one who knows what suits you. And maybe you've never been with someone of the same gender. And maybe you've never been with someone of the opposite gender. That doesn't change who you are or how you identify. It's, it's your soul. It's not your experience. Mm-hmm. That was really well said. Plus, you've got four bi people right here who are cheering you on, bro. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We've yeah. got this. The bipod grew by a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really identified with the sentence of uh, I didn't want to be pretentious. Although for me, my experience like growing up was uh, girls who were willing to kiss other girls were seeking attention. Like it, it was like, oh, a, yeah. oh, they're just doing that for the male gaze. So I was like, well, okay, I don't want to do that. So I, 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 I guess I'm straight. So yeah, the line of like, I didn't want to be pretentious. I knew I like girls. Ipso facto, I'm straight. That was my thing. I was like, well, I do like guys. So I guess I'm straight. And it wasn't until like a couple years ago that I started like reexamining my younger years and, um, like he also says about like <laughs> the teachers being hot like i definitely had like a little baby crush on one of my female teachers as a kid but i didn't recognize that because it wasn't acceptable like it wasn't even an option um so that i was definitely like oh my god it's me <laughs> which is so cool uh especially looking back to the dc podcast like we talked about how this one ha- uh, the dc pride podcast this one has a lot more i feel trans representation especially since that was dreamer's very first comic appearance and dreamer was the very first trans in dc comics so the fact that marvels has so much more and then same thing with the bi if you look at exactly what characters they were like oh here's our bi story here you go um pied piper versus this one with prodigy this one really drives home a lot of a shared bisexual experience which is so cool to see that representation yeah not just to see it but for his boyfriend to then just kind of take it in accept it and make a cute joke about how he doesn't want to go to the gym (laughs) (laughs) you know he's just like okay this you know what I love you and this is your experience and I trust you I believe you I'm not going to pepper you with detailed questions about how this is possible or why I'm not ready to get on board. Um, 
which is so often the case. Even on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, when Rosa came out, she gave everybody one minute for questions, and they all had questions. Um, most of them were, you know, okay, but it was, you know. The fact that he just kind of, he, thank you for sharing, um, was really reassuring for me, at least. Yeah, I wish it that was it was that easy. Mine was not that easy. So it's definitely, like we said, a repetitive, grueling, is it worth it? I'm in a straight passing relationship and my relationship doesn't define me. So I'm comfortable with who I am. But I live in the prairies in, in Canada. And so we're just as redneck as many other states. Um, I know for a fact that 90% of my relatives would be like, so you're getting divorced? Well, no. Right. Okay, so you're adding a third person. I'm like, no, no, that's not what no. that means. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. So, yeah, that was fun with just like the people I have told. I'm like, please ask me. I'd rather you ask than like make assumptions that are wrong. But needing to ask me three times if I'm going to have an affair, I'm like, okay, you just don't understand what the definition of bisexual means. Um, yeah. Also, how rude. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it was not as good as I had hoped. But that's I'm okay. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. For many, like, I've I've realized and I told all my friends because I knew that they would be supportive and, like, that would be when it would be, be most relevant. Because, um, again, it doesn't really impact my day-to-day life unless my husband suddenly dies, then I might date a girl. Like, it, it really doesn't impact my day-to-day life for anybody but my relationship like it doesn't impact anything so i don't need to tell people um but specifically doing these pride podcasts i was like i should probably tell a couple members of my family just in case like some (laughs) rando from my town who likes comics happens to hear this podcast and then says to my parents like oh jessica's seeking attention or whatever (laughs) oh god so i was like i'm gonna just get ahead of the ball on that one and that it wasn't as good as I hoped but it's done now so I'm like hopefully I never have to deal with it again which sucks but I hope through more and more and more and more and more representation for every single person of the rainbow that they can feel at home yes agreed agreed I think you know you say that it it doesn't affect your day-to-day life and um that's true as far as like from my my perspective, it, it was true as far as like um, relationships and things like that go. But one thing I thought they did a good job in this comic book, and then um, that I related to was getting over the shame of it, and um, like being okay with like looking at another woman and knowing that it was okay just to be attracted to someone. Um, so I thought that was. Uh, was really good that they pointed out just again just getting over that the, sh- the shame is what holds you back from so many other things plus life experiences and then when you don't get to have those life experiences combine that with the shame then you then you have problems mm-hmm. like I'm a much happier person now since I've realized it mm-hmm. but for me it came mm-hmm. down to like me coming out to myself was the most important step everyone else is like if it doesn't impact you, then go away. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, the, the biggest takeaway, I think, for a lot of readers for this story, especially if you're going through that identity crisis, I'll guess I'll call it, as for a, a new bisexual, we are here and we are valid and you are too. And that's what you need to remember. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we don't have to go to the gym if we don't want to. <laughs> or do if your partner doesn't want you to, if you prefer it. <laughs> Yeah. You decide whether or not you yeah. go to the gym. No one else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe the CDC, but hopefully we're over there. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's true. I'm sorry. I'm in a heavily vaccinated area where gyms have opened again without seeing nice. a, a rise. Oh, so. That'd be so nice. I'm, <laughs> I'm vaccinated in a heavily non-vaccinated area, so that's oh. good stuff. Yeah. Sorry. I feel like the privileged person of this bunch because I'm in a, in a heavily vaccinated and pretty gay area outside of Metro <laughs> Boston. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm in a weird like bubble where it's like, heck yeah, vaccines, heck no gays. It's like, okay. No. <laughs> that is a weird bubble. Yeah. So I'm like, really so weird. you're partially liberal? What? Who? Okay. <laughs> as long as I'm not dying, I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay, for our next story, we get a nice little tale from the New Mutants. Now, before we get into the proper themes in this one, I just need to say, the, the last time I saw Dakin, he's now going by Akihiro. He was sporting a mohawk, and he was just killing people on the regular, and now he's got more hair, and he's got a Ben Swolo kind of look, and it's it's just, he's hot now. What the hell happened? <laughs> I think oh, I was reading this like, oh my god! Like, I'm on the bus and I'm like, oh god, I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with this right now. Wait, hang on, back up for a second. Did you say Ben Swolo? Ben Swolo, yeah. Because he's, he's swole. Well, yeah, there was. I think it was in the Last Jedi. There was that bit where he just he was shirtless. He was like force talking with oh, yeah. Ray, and he had his shirt off, but he had pants like halfway up his stomach, yeah. and it looked really weird. But he looked really buff, so people called him Ben Swolo. <laughs> Nice. I missed that somehow. I do remember that scene, obviously. Oh, yeah, the internet took off. They're like, oh, can he be hot? Oh, Why God. is he hot? Was he hot before? <laughs> <I don't remember. laughs> yeah, I think he, I think, but Dakin, yeah, yeah. I think Dakin was one of those mutants who got the rewrite kind of thing with Krakoa. Um, like my husband, when I asked him about namely the Somnus uh, one at the end. I was like, who's Dakin? Like, why does he have Wolverine's power? So he gave me, like, a brief history of Dakin. And then he was like, oh, is he still a... I don't know what the male word for slut is, but we can call men sluts, too. (laughs) Is he still a slut? And I was like, uh... kind I don't know. I don't think so. They're not really painting him that way in this (laughs) anthology. Um, But apparently he used to be, like, would manipulate people and, like, force them to do things sexually that is yeah um, yeah all kinds of bad juju so they were like that's old deck and he doesn't exist anymore no mohawk this guy is better behaved <laughs> consent <laughs> like all these other things so which is much better um for young readers especially to know that like that behavior is not okay so it's nice that he's becoming a little bit more serious it seems not so much in this one but it's good to have fun too yeah, I liked this one less. I mean, Dakin was part of it, but the whole theme of just body positivity and, you know, being comfortable in your own skin, even if that includes one super bumpy arm. 
um, you know, that there's be confident in yourself because mm -hmm. your people are out there and we want to dance with you. I also really enjoyed the like background uh, Jean Grey and Cyclops and Wolverine throughout the comic. Oh yeah, they're having yes, a and fight. The boys oh, hug and then they start good. dancing. And so I was like, thruple confirmed? Yeah. What? Because yeah. <laughs> in the very end, like dance frame, which is also like beautiful. Like I love the colors um, of them all dancing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Jean Grey's like not paying attention to them. Meanwhile, the two boys are like, ha ha, ha ha. It's like that. It's so funny to me that, like, from everything I've heard about specifically the comics of those three, that it's very like, oh, Wolverine just tagged along for the summer family vacation. And it's like, what? Sorry? Mm -hmm. Sorry? Excuse you? Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff in these few pages, right? There's mm -hmm. body positivity. There's responsible drinking. <laughs> because he yeah. says like, this will be my last one yeah. there's dancing with your friends there's a thruple reconciling an argument in the background <laughs> <laughs> and rogue he doesn't love rogue yeah. yeah this was a really fun one yeah this one made me want to read more um, Krakoa set books because I'm just like, wait, so there's now just a place where the mutants all hang out and have their own personal drama and also regular dance parties? Sign me up. Right. <laughs> Plus with the... Can we all um, live there? At one point in the anthology, I forget at, um, in which interview it is, where they talk about how mutants for a long time were kind of like incognito uh, parallels for the gay community um, and mm -hmm. the AIDS crisis and all that kind of stuff. So... It's really cool to feature Krakoa, even in just one comic in this anthology, because it's kind of like, if this was really a parallel world, it'd be so cool to have, like, you're gay? Come on in! Here, here's your country, here's your passport, <laughs> here's your, like, you just live here now, congrats. So there, there is technically a gay country. Oh. Um, it is tiny, and no one officially resides there year-round. There is one post address, um, but... At some point, uh, in protest to the government of Australia, some folks pooled their money, bought an island, declared themselves an independent uh, gay nation. Their flag is the rainbow flag. You can look it up. Um, and they declared themselves at war with Australia. All residents there had committed the crime of being gay. Or <laughs> <laughs> all their citizens. <laughs> um, yeah. And there, it still exists. It's Because, like I said, it's a tiny... Yeah island it's not like not big enough to build a community on but there's you know a signpost and a flag and a single mailbox <laughs> that counts wait who's delivering the mail <laughs> a boat yeah i don't know i mean yeah i think a boat it comes on boat <laughs> i don't know hopefully a happy queer postal worker gets to deliver the mail there <laughs> i just like no matter who you are, if you're a postal worker, just doing your route in Australia, and then you're just like, oh god, I have to cross this body of water again. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you like build a t-shirt cannon, so you can just. Yes. 
Well, it wouldn't even it wouldn't be like your run of the mill Australian postal worker though. I think because you'd ha- you'd have to ship international. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, I guess if it doesn't have its own currency or its own military, then maybe they'd have more struggles with not <laughs> being able to do certain mm. things as its own independent country. But that is funny. Um, it's similar to in one of the provincial parks in Canada. There's this like mountain lake that has a teeny tiny island on it. And it's like a challenge every year to see who can replace the flag. Like there's one single flag. Pole on oh, it. I've heard about yeah, that. So people will always like bring a flag to it and replace the flag. Um, like it's been all these different countries of like people who backpack all the time. They'll like bring it specifically to put on this island. Um and then there's been like LGBTQ ones and uh, like hockey teams and <laughs> true Canadian. Is that, is that the one you're talking about with Iceland? Uh, I don't know if Iceland or, put their flag on it. Is there, there's another island that's kind of situated between Canadian borders oh, and Iceland. Right. And explorers will just take turns. It's all on the flags. Like every couple of weeks, they'll plant their country's flag and then leave like a bottle of wine or like a case of beer. It's like, uh, here you go, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, I think it's in Banff National Park. There's this one like uh, mountain lake that just has like the teeniest island. I think it's like big enough for a picnic table and this one flagpole. And so oh, people wow. <laughs> like who are mainly backpacking, you can like rent canoes from like the nearby town and like carry it over and then like row out to it. Um, yeah, it's just always funny because you can also like see it from the highway. You can't get to it from the highway; you have to like take a back road. But you can see the <laughs> island because it's just this giant lake. So it was always pretty cool. Who put the flagpole there? I don't. I'm sure there's a history that I just. I'm not a. <laughs> I'm not a hiker, so I don't know. But yeah, so it's again mm-hmm. cool to see. I'm really glad that Krakoa made an appearance. Like that, there is kind of a like slice of life on an all mutant all the time island yeah, i would love to uh, i wish it was real because i would love to visit tourism there must be like uh, i don't think they're allowing <laughs> tourism yet because they're not really recognized by uh, all the other countries as a country yet well when they do right sign me up i don't need to go to mars i just need to go to <laughs> <laughs> okay our next story is honestly i i felt this was it was nice but a little bit sad on a classic Bobby Drake tale that Iceman I don't know if it was first learning about himself but him slowly realizing that coming out in that day and age as a mutant might not be the best idea and he gets advice from an unexpected visitor in Magneto which I thought was, was a very nice touch I like couldn't stop cackling. I <laughs> there are all the other missiles. Oh, when Magneto showed up, like, yeah. Oh my goodness, you and Charles yeah. just need to yeah. no kiss. But like, <laughs> <laughs> just their bromance of will they, won't they ever be friends? I'm like, can you guys just be on the same team for once? Which now they are with Krakoa, but uh, yeah. like you said, it was very sad. But it's so true, and like I said with the last um, DC Pride podcast, like when you are 
in an unsafe place, even if you realize like something about yourself that you can't share, it makes it so much harder to because you now are consciously choosing to hide part of yourself every day for your safety or um, for many, many, many reasons. And again, it was nice to see that it does happen. It's still happening and it's hard, mm-hmm. but hopefully someday you can finally date that cute boy with wings. And he does get to eventually yeah. sort of, <laughs> yeah. not, you know, not necessarily Warren, but, but Bobby eventually mm-hmm. does come out. Which was mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, I've always had a real soft spot for Magneto. Um, I know lately the, the hip thing is to empathize with the villains. Um, Disney train is all over that track. But I thought this one was really sweet. Because, at, I mean, his thing was never... Obviously, he's got the rival with the rivalry with Xavier. But they're, they have the same starting point, right? Which is that they want mutant acceptance and they want to be able to live their lives and they want the persecution to stop. Um, but they, the way that they choose to, to go about achieving it is very, very different. Um, and so I think of course, if Magneto sees, you know, this teen who is struggling with himself and struggling with his place in the world, he, he can relate to that. And he's not, you know, just the the final panel of the two of them sitting there with Bobby with the helmet on is so adorable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just yeah. so cute. And it makes you feel like the, they're going to be okay. <laughs> I especially love that you can immediately tell at the end that, like, Magneto will be like, this never happened. <laughs> <laughs> and there's an old image, I don't know how old it is now, but that went around on the internet that just says like Magneto and Charles are just like this really old gay couple that made their relationship problems everyone else's problems and that's the whole reason we have (laughs) (laughs) I loved that though and I loved that in the in the X-Men films it was Ian McKellen playing Magneto um, to have some you know to have someone who's outspokenly out and queer and of that generation is a big deal. And then obviously getting to watch his real life bromance with Patrick Stewart and, mm-hmm. and the pictures they take when they go on adventures together has just been like so, so refreshing and so sweet. I know there was a big thing with JK Rowling doing this kind of thing a few years ago, but Marvel just make Magneto gay already. Do it. It needs to happen. Do it, you cowards. And then afterwards, stay cool. Don't reveal that you've secretly been a turf the whole time. Thankfully, Marvel's protected from that one because it's like a multi-conglomerate co-op. Yep. Yeah. Even, like, it was funny when I was reading the credits list um, for this anthology and I read J.J. Kirby. I was like, that's not Jack Kirby, right? He died, right? How is he? What? And so I Googled. I was like, oh, okay, not the same dude. Um, but I think that'd be as close as they could possibly get is if something cropped up with Stanley or Jack Kirby. But then you think about all of the like Stan soapbox. Yeah, I would be shocked yeah. to learn that Stanley rejected anyone on an identity basis. And then same with um, like the fact that I think with the Alpha Flight comic where Northstar comes out as gay, I think that one wasn't approved by the CD or the Comic Authority, the CAA or whatever it's called. I think they actually wouldn't give it their stamp, if I remember right, when it first came out. I don't fully remember the history of it, um, but I remember it was, like, controversial enough, 
at the time. Do we remember when that came out? I feel like that was... The 90s, I think. I I feel like it was definitely in my lifetime. I remember... I loosely remember it happening, but I never read Alpha Flight. me neither. But, and again, that was part of my struggle with the DC one, is that I had to Google who Extrano was, and then it turned out he was the first ever... And because DC didn't give the history, it felt like they were embarrassed that they made Extrano like a very stereotyped gay character and not the good stereotypes. But you can learn from that, and they have learned from that, obviously. Like, their comics nowadays Mm -hmm. are very inclusive. And it almost feels like that could have been a lesson in that anthology to be like, listen, not everyone's on the right page all the time. We did our best to reconcile we apologize to anyone at that time. Because changing opinion or changing, like, groups, same with, yeah, like we said, the comic authority, either agree or don't agree with it, you can still learn and grow and become better, more well-rounded and more inclusive. And coming from a lifelong DC fan, DC can seriously still do a lot better. Especially reading this, the the Marvel book. DC, come on. <laughs> like I said... Oh, and the, uh, yeah, like my biggest, and I, I won't ever say you didn't do well enough. My thing was simply just that, like, for a comic noob, it was so hard with the DC one because the only interviews they had were people from the TV show. Which don't get me wrong, I loved uh, the one lady with the girl who plays Dreamer. I forget her name. Thank you, Nicole. Um, she's right. Amazing. I love that one because she also wrote the comic in that anthology. It it made sense it was relevant it was like in theme and follow through from a comic in that anthology but the other ones she also founded a charity with the other dc tv actresses yeah. to benefit they could have totally like, yeah. showcased that but instead it was like okay now we're going to talk about this other actor this other actor and this other, i'm like okay i get it if i was reading this because of the tv shows yes i would be interested in these but then I read this one and I'm like, this is what I wanted. Where it, it talks about the history, about the Alpha Flight comic, about the history, and it gave us that full intro, like we said, well-researched. And then in each of these comics where it, there's a relevant issue for you to go and read uh, with Jesse Drake and all these other characters where it says, go see this other comic. Mm-hmm. Or with Hulkling and Wiccan's vows, like, go see their wedding. And it's like, there was so much more references to other comics so that if I, as a queer person, was like, I'm going to start reading comics. Oh, I'll pick up the queer book. Where do I go from there? Which is super cool to me that I think Marvel gets a a leg up with this one with the other ties to other comics because there is a jumping off point here. It's not just, okay, there you go. Now figure out which one the Flash is in that you want to (laughs) read. Which Grace? flash? Yeah, I was like, Jesse, <laughs> Jesse Chambers, Jessica. I don't, I don't know which one. How do I? Yeah, but Rob. I mean, multiverse is confusing yeah. enough. <laughs> I just again on, on DC. If you guys have heard anything about this recently, we meant to mention this in the DC podcast, but I completely forgot to. We talk about them needing to do better and them being like inclusive. They can't even get it right with straight relationships, mm. let alone queer relationships, and. There's been this big debate about Batman being a little frisky with Catwoman. Oh, goodness. Is that the thing about the cartoon? Oh, the, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's it's not even, like, the, the, the season's not even out yet. But this this was the quote 
word for word, at least what the executive producer for Harley Quinn said, the DC or Warner Brothers executive said, heroes don't do that. Which is so Which I think is so bullshit. bullshit and so and, ugh. and then when the EP comes back and says so Batman's a selfish lover and they're like no look we need to sell toys and we can't sell toys if heroes are going down on people which again is bullshit if they can yeah. have like vaginal sex then they can definitely have other types of sex what do you what do you think Harley and Ivy are doing mm. <laughs> braiding each other's so hair. Many- over and over again. So many depictions <laughs> of just action heroes in general, whether they're super or not, is girls coming up from the bottom of the frame in a truck or mm-hmm. any other, like, there's so much innuendo about girls doing it that, yeah, I just cackled. And it's nice to see more. And, like, you're bashing on DC for not getting straight relationships but Marvel's also guilty of that. Like, there was a big call for mm-hmm. Hank Pym to be canceled because of how he treated his wife. I don't know the full history, but I think it was him. Was There was one of, like, the original yeah. Avengers where there were several comics that he was, like, abusive. I, I think it was Hank Pym. Um, abusive. Yeah, and so there was, like, lots of people like, we don't care, cut him out. He's, like, that character can die with those bad behaviors. Like... Instead of rebirthing or re... Just Scott Lang is unproblematic. He, like, isn't violent, all these different things. And I think that just speaks to how long comics have been around. That if you have this big, long history with the same person, of course they're going to have problems in their past. Like, no one's perfect. But also, it was a different time. And people need to learn better and do better, which we are now. And it's okay to let some of those things die that were problematic. There's no reason to keep coming back up with it. Not definitely. That's... I just need to... I just need to get to a certain point where everybody can just be accepting. We're all pe- we're all here. We're all people. Let's just love each other. Yeah, man. It's the robots that are the problem if this network has taught me anything. <laughs> uh, no offense, Cyborg. Or other robotically enhanced <laughs> super people. No, that that will lead us, I think, pretty well into our next story, which is the man I know with North Star and his husband. As if you know anything about North Star, he is very arrogant. He, he's very proud and comes across as like full of himself. But this is just a side of North Star that not only looks really good, but is not one you see very often he's just happy he's easygoing he's laid back and it, it's a side that you can only get from somebody that's in that level of love and commitment and that was a nice side to see he still seems pretty arrogant which isn't a bad thing <laughs> um, yeah but like he's posing <laughs> and I don't yeah. blame him yeah. <laughs> but like the door frame with the towel like oh yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, it was very cool to see. It's almost like the entire thing is from Kyle's point of view. And it's so nice and refreshing. Like, I, I kind of wish there were just, in general, more comics and representations like that. Because it helps you understand why a character is lovable is from another person's perspective. 
Like, if I have to see another person be like, oh, Tony Stark, and I'll be like, ugh. You didn't learn anything from Iron Man 1, they reset him for Iron Man 2. Anyway, but <laughs> when, like, Pepper is talking with him, that makes him a likable character. It's these kinds of interactions, especially with those really arrogant characters who find it hard to be vulnerable, that the only times they are is when we can start to get to know them. Yeah, I think it's really sweet that we see Kyle, like, laying out the uniform, <laughs> trying to help him get ready. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just like little stuff that you do for your partner that becomes part of your routine. Yeah, there wasn't any real action. We don't know where he's going. It was, it reminded me a lot of like the vows with Wiccan and Hulkling, where it was more emotional rather than plot. Um, mm. It was really nice. I don't know about no action, the way they were telling that first time. <laughs> Definitely some action we did. I mean, how comes out of bed all his clothes, so we'll have to conjecture. Oh, but he looks, he looks happy. <laughs> <laughs> As they should. And I did get a laugh out of those uh, frozen underpants. <laughs> I just saw that. Ice, ice baby. <laughs> little snowman. Oh, straight up is Olaf. I definitely missed that the first time. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny with the Disney crossovers that, like, I, I never would have expected with Age of Ultron to hear Pinocchio. And now having Olaf oh, on yeah. Star's oh, ass. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it's not what we expected, the but... the Disney Marvel crossover I, rainbow. <laughs> I think we It's serious Pinocchio and Olaf ass. <laughs> well, any other thoughts on this one? No, just more cheers to the normalization of happy gay marriages. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can say any Marvel writers, artists, executives, if you're listening, give us an Alpha Flight book. <laughs> I want my Canadian representation too. And that treehouse they live in looks pretty dope. I like it. Right. Where is that? I don't know, but it reminds me of Rivendell. That, that doesn't even look like Canada. No, that's far too like jungly. Yeah, I assume in in the forest of Canada. Maybe it's hidden somewhere in Banff National Park. It's too cold for that. Yeah. Those bridges would freeze over. You'd be... <laughs> You'd be falling down all the time. I mean, I don't know his full power. Dying. If he if he can like slip and slide and skate. Oh, what are Kyle's powers? Because he lives there too. Maybe he's just like attached via yeah. rope to the railing and has to like ice climb his way down. It's a complicated way to live. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> and that view must be stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way that. Especially if there's always a rainbow <laughs> over the waterfall. Yeah. Yeah, the water's always moving. Yeah. See, so it can't be in Canada because then you'd lose that for eight months of the year. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, then you might get the Northern Lights, which is like Canada's this rainbow. Is true. Okay, and next up we have a little tale from Mystique. Which I, I I love Sherlock and you see Irene Adler and Moriarty, I'm like, oh fuck, this is good. <laughs> I did not expect that and I, I didn't think these I so I don't know if this has anything to do with Mystique's history. She's got a huge history, a lot like Wolverine. They've been around for decades. So I'm not sure in all of her long comics history that this was ever a thing, but I love it and I would love to see more of it. That was just a really nice tale. Yeah, I don't. I mean, she does appear to snap his neck and throw him off the train at the end. 
apart from, yeah apart from that but like <laughs> oh no i mean so so there won't be more with this character unless oh, he yeah. like miraculously unsnapped his neck when he landed the fall from the train realigned his spine and he came back to life he <laughs> already's gotten out of worse scrapes than that. <laughs> so from what i found um destiny went by an alias uh irene adler and like very sherlockian holmes time period and mystique also like as like a as mystique does like all these alter egos throughout her time and they ended up like running into each other and of course like arthur conan doyle would have either interacted with or something to inspire sherlock holmes stories rather than like it necessarily being 100 percent like oh it's that same character it was destiny it's alter ego kind of thing Mm. Um, but again i don't know how new in the comics that that has been their story um but i know that with krakoa they're able to resurrect or um reincarnate that's it reincarnate other mutants through one of the mutants powers i forget how or why exactly and so mystique currently is like trying to do all these things to prove that she's not going to thwart the goals of krakoa and in order to do that they're like bribing her like okay do this for us and we will bring back your wife um and so she keeps doing all these different missions for them and if they don't go well then she's no closer to getting destiny back Mm. so it's a whole there's a whole thing there but i don't know how long ago in the comics that destiny and mystique were linked i know destiny as a character is pretty old um, but i don't know how long they've been in a relationship i don't know what stuck out to me about this one is this is a love story where they are not out and that's kind of the point right it's blackmail it's attempted blackmail you've you've been seen together i know this about you i have photographs and the solution is to kill him. It's Moriarty, so we're not too upset about that. Um, and then either keep for themselves or destroy the photographs because it's not safe. And they're clearly, you know, devoted to each other. It's everything I do, I do for us. And, um, you know, it's a familiar sentiment. And it's, it's one that hopefully won't be around too much longer, right? I only want to see this we're so afraid of being outed storyline in period pieces Mm -hmm. from now on. Um, You know, I don't, I want to live in the world where, where this isn't relatable. Yeah. And it it, kind of like we talked about with the DC pride with green lanterns Mm -hmm. comic that like, there is a point to like honor the struggles of the past and continue to make it relevant or fresh in the mind so that people don't, take for granted the struggles that have been occurring for decades. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I feel like they do it in a respectful way. Like, it's pretty obvious in the chess match especially that something's up. And since we all know Mystique, <laughs> it's pretty easy to tell what's happening. Um, yeah, and they do a good job of villainizing him so that his death doesn't feel like Mystique is in the wrong. Um, mm-hmm. But 
Although I'm, con- she definitely kills oh, people no, on like, I a know. regular basis. But they weren't. They were, <laughs> oh, we're gonna demonize this LGBTQ character, which was nice because in mm. a Pride anthology, I would hate for it to be like, oh, but the gay person's evil, like, which mm. which is again, I'm not saying that Mystique is sunshine, rainbows, and puppies, but <laughs> they do a good job specifically in this one to be like, he was he was pretty much asking for it, like. Yeah, yeah like he blackmail, and he's a bad dude, and he's like all these different things. That it it feels like she, that was her goal, even before he opened his mouth. That she had either a dossier on him or something that was leading her. This was yeah. a plan. Yeah, yeah. So it felt yeah more than we had access to. And I think it's important to not, you know, she's not an overtly evil character here, even though she's definitely um, on the. Not necessarily Anti-hero. a good guy all the time or a bad guy all the time. You know, she's a complicated character. But I think in terms of just, you know, queer representation in general, it was that didn't, you know, wasn't out there, didn't talk about it. And then it was, okay, there's occasionally a queer person or, or a trans person, but they are the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then from there we started to be, okay, there'd be a, a queer person or... Um, the gay best friend. Who's who's there is like a, a, the gay best friend or or the you know the tertiary character's partner and they get murdered, mm-hmm. um, right? So it was you're not there, you're there but you're evil, you're there you're not evil but you are gonna die, <laughs> um, and I we're finally getting just queer joy and you know anxiety about things other than your queerness and, and queer malice. The whole, the whole, the whole range. yeah, and mal- <laughs> the whole gamut of, of stories, right? And it's just, mm-hmm. there's so much more out there to tell. And it's great that we're seeing it now. Yeah, it's good to see Mystique finally in a place where she can be herself. Mm. Especially knowing the character over the years had such uh, an identity struggle. Just being hated and feared as a mutant and always looking different. My one issue with the character, and this has been an issue I've had for years is if you're trying to be more accepted and less feared and not be seen as a monster, just try not having skulls all over your outfit all the time. <laughs> like that, that will just like not make people a little less afraid of you. Listen, goths are people too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, but I find that most goths are like hot topic goths where it's those like metal skulls. But those mm. look straight up like she was like, I'm keeping you. You're now part of my belt. <laughs> <laughs> You're so small. Yeah. Yeah. She, okay, she's never had my favorite costume, but the, the story yeah. was nice. And we could get into the whole, like, mutant science of that costume. Like, you, you could argue, like, the gloves, boots, and, like, the top half of the dress might just, like, shift, but, like... The flowy part of the bottom half? Is that, like, a part of her? Like, where was that in the change over to Irene Adler? Like, does the costume change forms with her? It's Well, so in this case, at least, it would kind of make sense because Adler, presumably, based on the fashion of the time, would be wearing a skirt. Yeah. So it could blend. Although when we do go back to Destiny sitting in that green chair, she's basically wearing a nightgown or, like, a shift. So I Mm -hmm. wonder if... She took hers and then just shredded it, and her dress unfurled underneath. Or because it doesn't really show. Yeah, she just hops up as Mystique. Yeah. It's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, I always took it as a nightgown, but yeah, it could have been like an undergarment. Well, this story's got more layers than I realized. 
And if we're going to talk about fashion, oh my goodness. Oh yeah, that, that, that definitely leads into our next one. Also featuring some new mutants, we have a after party of the Hellfire Gala where mm, magic, sorry I was going to say something else, magic is trying to get a, a couple of the newer mutants to just have a dance with each other and it ends up working out beautifully and it's just just a nice little tale despite Eliana's devilish horns those are like, creeping me out <laughs> it was beautiful and yeah the dresses are like they're big yeah <laughs> Shan's outfit is so so 80s to me like I think I think I had a Barbie who had that outfit in 1991 <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> The big square earrings, earrings and cufflinks mm. and like bro, yeah, the shoulder wrap style, the big, the high neck shoulder pads. Back. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely <laughs> some shoulder pads in there, and I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah, this this one was a nice, simple little tale of getting two people together that were too shy to just talk about it before, and, and that's doesn't have to be complicated. It's as simple as that. Just make the move and see where it goes. Be confident. Be yourself. Be courageous. I think that's that's probably the most important message here. Yeah. This one is just such a feast for the eyes. Like, all of the colors are almost, like, pastel. Like, it's just so adorable in and of itself, plot and art included. And who hasn't been there where you're like, I want to, but I'm not going to, and then you need a little encouragement. Yeah. I like how it ends with the beginning instead of the end. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. Yeah, this is definitely going somewhere. She's just asked her on their first date. Okay, and that will lead us into our last story of the issue, which is a return to Dakin. In less of a Ben Swallow look and more of a just got out of bed look, but it still looks good on him. He's giving me Zuko vibes in this one. Oh yeah, I can see that. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing? I no, just oh, no, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here you actually do get to see a bit of Dakin's dark history, but also a bit of a softer side, where he had a relationship, more of a one night stand with somebody from his past. And here's where it gets a bit confusing to me. The man lived his life and died peacefully with his family, but he was never himself. And then Dakin brings him back to life because superheroes. At a younger age to the age that Dakin met him at. And now he's a superhero and I'm just... I, it's beautiful and I'm excited for this. I'm just really confused about how this came to be. So again with the, the Krakoa arc and the mutants being able to like be reincarnated. Um, and I think this character really sums it up that like I was Carl Lentino. I lived the hand I was dealt. I lived my life. And now I'm Somnus. Um, which is really cool and it also inadvertently is almost like a parallel for lots of trans people's lives where there's a before and an after, which if that's the way they prefer to live their lives, by all means. Um, I have a family member who's trans and he uses the same name because it was a pretty like unisex name and it's not as black and white as most people from what I've been able to tell through media. 
who have trans identities. Um, and so I thought it was really cool that this, even though it's two men and it's kind of a gay story, that there is still a parallel or somewhere for someone to identify with a life before and a life after this kind of reincarnation of how you want to be seen now. Or I read too much into it, but... <laughs> no. I don't necessarily no, think so. I think... Yeah, and it says, look for Somnus in Krakoa next year. So this is almost like his introduction, yeah. right? This is his, the, the introduction of the character. Um, and it's it's wild. Also, I this is a little weird, but the one thing that struck me about this was this man's powers was that every night he lived a lifetime in his dreams, basically. Um, that sounds exhausting. I just, they do it so much. So every day he wakes up and he lives his life like for other people, right? Not wanting to let them down, you know, wanting to to do what's expected of him, wanting his family to do well. And I think, um, you know, a lot of us have been there, especially pre coming out um, that, you know, that's a, that's a thing we can see. And, and Dokken wants to give him a chance to live for himself, to be himself. And I think that's beautiful. But I'm also in a little bit of disbelief that someone who has already lived thousands of lifetimes is interested in, in starting another one. <laughs> Actually, I'm curious if he sees it or if it's just the other person. Oh, you think he might project yeah. it to the person? I didn't even no. think about that because in my head when I first read it, the way I interpreted it was because it was their first night together. Dokken mm-hmm. experienced this whole thing and then woke up and was like, oh, I kind of have a choice. Do I want this or do I run? And he chose run. Um, but I'm curious if that would continue happening or if it's like a projection, like I said, or if it's, if you would get more familiar with it and therefore it doesn't feel like a lifetime every night. Like I genuinely curious how they are writing out how his power works. We gotta read more Krakoa books. Heck yeah. Yeah. See, this is what this was all about. It was we thought we were here for representation and feeling affirmed by Marvel, but this was they were like, I know what we should do. We gotta get more we gotta get more gays reading the comic books. We're gonna give them a bunch of half stories. They're gonna be gorgeous. They're not gonna have enough information. And then <laughs> That was kind of how I felt with um, the DC anthology, namely with Jess and Andy was like the big one where I was like, I need more! What? You're going on a date? What? Come back! <laughs> Whereas this one, like you said, it's really so short, all of them, that it's like, okay, and next? Mm-hmm. And then, what did Magneto say after he gave him the helmet? Like, what? Give me the next five scenes. Give me the next 20 scenes. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was definitely something I really appreciate about this one, is that for most, if not all of these stories, you can actually see where it's going to happen next. And even some others that they kind of highlight in the beautiful splash image afterwards love is love you see other relationships that are going on mm-hmm. that you can also see in other books that are happening right now weekly in marvel comics it's not just one-offs or things that happen in an alternate universe or anything which is really nice one of my favorites is hercules and marvel boy that came out of nowhere but that was wonderful over in guardians of the galaxy is that them ahead of the orange and yellow stripe yeah. Yeah, that's them right Next there. Next to my girl Carol. That's it. And that's actually Hercules from mythology. Nice. Yeah, it was very much... Um, when my husband was asked to do the Marvel Comics podcast with Not a Robot, 
he then had access to like the modern stuff that was coming out all the time because he has like an app or something that gives you like the past starting three years ago or something so he had been reading comics but now with his access to review them he was like there's just so much which is so good and 90% of it is gay which is so cool like he he was like <laughs> six out of I forget how many people are in Guardians of the Galaxy currently running right now with new issues six of them are gay and he's like that's so cool like we said that's awesome. having all these different things where it's like do do any relationship well and it is good like people will keep coming back like the Hulkling and Wiccan go on a honeymoon and so like that comic starts like in their bed and it's not we- like because it's just so fluid and natural like you don't even think about it you're not like oh they're looking co-. like at no point did he ever think any of those like because we were all kids and the time in our lives where everything that was derogatory was gay like oh don't do that because it's bad and so he just enjoyed that comic fully and then they were fighting in space and it's just so much all the time which is so good because it's normalizing it for all these people who like i said in my current small town that if all these people read these comics and it just becomes normal then they won't question they won't wonder why it's important they'll have it be more accessible and hopefully they'll grow to be more understanding yeah, I think especially, I don't know how old everyone is, but for me, growing up, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, the bi-representation out there was um, Maureen from Rent and debatably Willow on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and that was it. Like, <laughs> that, that was what you got. It was two women, one of whom was regularly just referred to as gay. Once her seasons-long relationship with a man ended and she started seeing a woman, like, that was it. Um, so, yeah, having this out there, like, it's, it's a regular thing. <laughs> it's just normal sauce. And from a narrative standpoint, frankly, if all of your characters are... I mean, and it shouldn't be all... But characters who are bi or pan or, um, you know, don't experience attraction limited by gender, uh, that just gives you more romantic options the longer your franchise lasts. So, Can you imagine how long Glee would have gone if they had all been gay? Or bi or pan? Because they tried to pair every kid up with every other kid in that show, as long as it was hetero. Yeah. But... Yeah, I just was so excited. First with the opening with the history, and then we finished with the love is love, and then you continue on into the Alpha Flight reprint, and you see like how that original comic looked, and then they say next there's going to be another Marvel Voices um, comic that's going to feature all these Asian stories, which is so cool. And then if you like all these queer guys, here's where you can find them. It's got a big splash page with King and Black, Power Pack, Gamma Flight, Black Cat, all these different comics to go to. And I was like, CTC, just one page. I just wanted one page from you. <laughs> That's all you had to do. Yeah, Marvel definitely hey. seemed to take more care and consideration into the content that they were putting into these anthologies than, than DC. Which, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, I won't say that one represented better than the other. Like, we didn't get the same 
kind of non-binary point of view that we got from the DC one. Um, but there are so many things in here that are so nice. And like you said, it feels more curated. Yeah, it's it's nice to see, not exactly jumping on points, but like big moments in LGBT comic history that you can just go check out. Stuff that's older or even just ongoing. And you're correct, completely right. The DC, I think, should have jumped on that, that ball as well. But I'm very appreciative Marvel did this. And even more so that they had that reprint of Alpha Flight in the back with their first big character coming out as gay in in the 90s were a time where that was a big issue. It was a big topic and it it changed a lot. It changed a lot of of things when this came out. It was a big thing and I really appreciate them reprinting it. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to read it because there's a Mountie in there that looks like a bad guy and that's... Yeah, interesting. I had never read this um, before, so I was also really grateful for the reprint. Like I, I remember like North Star coming out. Um, I didn't realize how closely tied it was to the AIDS crisis, um, which is something that's close to my heart. I've lost um, people, and I've been involved with AIDS-related fundraising for over a decade. Oh, nearly two decades. Cool. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so to see this all in the context of, you know, people do not care enough that we are dying, that especially gay men are dying in droves um, from this disease. Although I don't think that my reaction to it, and maybe this is because I'm not Canadian, um, but the many ways I've felt about that scenario, I've never felt spurred to put on a Mountie costume and beat up a national icon Mm. about it from context it seems like his son was also yeah it was he had lost his son and nobody cared and now he saw all of canada i guess fawning over this baby girl who was hiv positive and hoping that she would pull through I don't know why his solution was to smash the baby. Yeah. That is definitely misguided grief, I think. Well, and you think of that, too, that, like, the amount of stuff we didn't know about mental health and the refusal to recognize mental health as a health issue until very recently, too. Like, I think it's all connected. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the character, but I assume that he would, like, that was his job. He was just a Mountie, because... We have cops who dress like that for certain occasions up here. Like, <laughs> maybe this dude is huge, yeah. though. Like, yeah. he looks like he's had maybe some super soldier Serum, yeah, something yeah. going on. Yeah. He is massive. But the costume looks straight up like a mounty, like a mounty uniform. Yeah. Like, aside from the M belt buckle, I don't, I don't know what that's <laughs> for. But it's for his dead son, Michael. <sighs> yes. Uh, I missed the name of it. I'm I'm making no, that it, up. It may not be it, true. It, it totally makes sense, though. At least it's a reason, um, and not every costume needs reasons. But it it's straight up like the red top with the like blue black pants with a yellow stripe down the side. That's exactly what their uniform looks like today. Not their like everyday going to work outfit, but I think that's their like if you're on parade dress outfit. I still see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Are they all that ginormous? No. I'm just saying, if Mounties look like that, I'm reconsidering <laughs> my trip to Canada. <laughs> yeah, some of them, men and women alike, are quite swole, but it's like any profession, I'm sure, where sometimes there's like the tight fit 
bulked cop and then the bulky mm-hmm. cop. There's time and reasons. And they don't me. generally go around punching babies. I don't think <laughs> I've I understand ever. correctly. Not in my <laughs> knowledge, but there's also a whole storied history coming to light about that. Sad, sad mm-hmm. history, but we won't go into that for no. Yeah, that's that. That is definitely a tragedy, but that is is best to be talked about mm-hmm. another time. Right now, mm-hmm. I, I can say this about the muscles, though. That this was just comics in the <laughs> '90s, where if it wasn't muscles, it was pouches and big guns and swords, and everything was over the top. Mm-hmm. If he was drawn today, he'd probably be at least half the size. Be a little smelter. I did like yeah. though. I love. It's not just that he comes out, but that he yells, "I am gay!" while throwing a punch. But on top of that, the sentence he says right before is so relevant and so accurate. Like that was my thing too. Mm-hmm. Is I'm not inclined to discuss my sexuality with anyone because it's none of their dang business. But for this discussion, he does. Um, and again, if you don't feel comfortable coming out, don't feel like you have to. Be comfortable in yourself, and especially if you have those safe spaces that you can go to and have a sense of community, it helps so much to have even a little yeah. bit of uh, representation and connection with people who've gone through the same struggles you've gone through. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely something to be said for coming out at least the first couple of times and the sense of relief it can give you. Um, but tragically we still live in a world where it's not always safe. And if, if you don't feel safe, then it's okay to wait in the closet until you are ready. No one can pull you out, um, before you, you want to, I say no one can, no one should. And we love you. Heck yeah. Definitely. Not to speak for everybody else, but I'm going to and say that we love you. (laughs) We, we do as long as you're not a robot yeah don't be a robot <laughs> yeah <laughs> now before we get into the outro what are your favorite stories or moments from this issue caitlin if you'd like to get us started sure i think um my favorite story is is that dance party with um you know on krakoa the first one with Dakin, where it's just there's not even necessarily a romance there. It's just about accepting yourself for who you are and having a great time with your mutant friends. Um, but I think my favorite moment is Magneto comforting Bobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a nice moment. Uh, Holly, what about you? Uh, my favorite story was Colossus. Um, the um, I'm so t- I don't I'm not familiar with any of these characters here. Uh, Prodigy and Speed. Yes, thank you. Mm. Uh, so so that one was my favorite one. I think they did just an excellent job at bringing out like such deep internal dialogue, and then like you know taking the reader through all of that, and then showing such a wonderful and healthy response to you know your partner sharing such vulnerable things with you. Um, and overall, I, that's probably what I just enjoyed about this entire anthology was um, the real meaningful and in-depth conversations that all of these characters were able to have. Um, and it, there was a lot of, you know, do not just tell, but um, sometimes that dialect is so important. 
Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And Jessica, what about you? Oh, man. I th- it's hard to pick, right? right? I'm like, <laughs> all of them, no. Uh, I didn't really love a couple of them um, compared to everything else. Like, most of them I would have rated, like, an 8, and there were a couple that were, like, 5s. But I think to cover one that hasn't been mentioned is the Something New Every Day with Electra and Charlene. Like we said, that very quick moment of hey don't say that Um, because even if you're part of the lgbtq community if you're uncomfortable with someone's pronouns or um, how you should interact with someone that you don't have experience interacting with before because you are nervous or unsure or just want to do your best to not offend and keep it a safe space it's definitely nice to see that Charlene is not pulling any punches and she's going to let you know, which is so important to use your voice, not only to let people know when you come out, but as you're going through, because nobody's perfect, even if they are trying their darndest. And I know for me, I have anxiety. And so it's hard for me when I leave social interactions to not immediately like text. I'm like, I'm so sorry I did this. I didn't mean to. Like, <laughs> if, if you can be more communicative and be like, hey, thanks, today was really nice, like, you used the pronouns that I prefer, or whatever is going on in your life with your friends, with your family. Just those little reminders sometimes is the best you can do. Like I said, with my family member who's trans, like, their mom will still use the wrong pronouns. And so it's not my place to correct them, but I will, like, emphasize pronouns when I use them in hopes that as time goes on that their mom will get with the program basically um and every little step will help towards your own mental well-being um so that we can eventually hopefully get to that time and place where it isn't an issue it isn't something that needs to be taught it's just a known shared knowledge yeah hopefully one day we can just get to that point acceptance is the goal and i can definitely agree charlene is a very strong character i haven't had a chance to read it but she is in gamma flight that came out just this past week so if anybody out there and we've talked a lot about new comic book readers if you're looking for jumping on points there's no better jumping on point than a number (laughs) one and it's brand new it's spinning out of another book but it is going to be its own self-contained story so it's a good one to check out yeah and from my knowledge, they had a consultant come on for Charlene, and it was so well-received and did so well, and there was so much story there that now she's been hired to be a full-on writer for, I think, Gamma Flight. Oh, nice. So, more and more and more. Like, last time with DC, we talked Perfect. about all the different writers were writing from their very unique LGBTQ perspective for the character, which was so cool. Yeah, it's good to see. Personally, I also had a bit of a hard time picking, but I I think I'm going to put it in a tie, but for two entirely different reasons. I Just because it meant so much to me, the Colossus story is also just very touching, especially being a, a bisexual male and seeing that being talked about just is very important to me and i respect the hell out of that story but my favorite just for fun being a longtime runaways fan i love seeing nico and carolina out on a date 
you don't get enough of that in the book because there's so many other characters to look at and to just see them together doing their thing is beautiful i loved it and that is our show i want to say thank you thank you thank you so much for celebrating with us this is a very important month for many of us and it means so much that you're here to enjoy this as much as we are remember you can help support the show by signing up for our patreon www.patreon.com slash notarobotpodcast for just a dollar a month get your name shattered out on a podcast of your choice access to all of our material and more before we go i would just like to wish you all a very happy pride and enjoy any festivities that may be going on in your neck of the woods and as always there's only one way we say goodbye around here be good to each other love yourself stay human and don't be a robot